Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week's episode is a talk from Sinclair Ferguson on John Owen, which is part of the bonus content of the documentary Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God. The full documentary and all of the bonus content is now available on Canon Plus. When I was 17, I was a young university student and uh, I looked over at the book table and there were these very large green-backed and uh, white-covered volumes by a man called John Owen. Uh, They were being sold as damaged goods and they cost 15 shillings each which uh, in today's money is uh, three quarters of a pound or about a dollar. And a publishing company had just started republishing the works of John Owen. And I bought them and I began to read them. And I realized I was reading a different kind of literature from any other Christian literature I'd ever read before. And I became fairly fascinated with this man, uh, not realizing at the beginning that his uh, collected works came to 24 volumes, averaging about 600 pages each. And so beginning to read John Owen, I realized, was the beginning of a life journey. But his work has meant a great deal to me over my Christian life. Uh, And uh, I want to say just a few things about him. John Owen was born in 1616 in England. His name Owen is of course a Welsh name, so he was of Welsh descent. His father was a minister in the Church of England. But while he was a minister of the Church of England, he also had tendencies towards what had become known as Puritanism. In other words, while he was ministering in an Episcopalian church, he'd become more and more concerned to see the church reformed more radically according to scripture. And so Owen would have been brought up in a Bible-believing and Bible-reading home. He came from a family where the gospel was known and the gospel was loved. He was an extremely intelligent young man and a very fine student. He went off to Oxford University. He was a student at Queen's College in Oxford. But it seems that in those early years, although he knew so much about the gospel, he had no real assurance of his own salvation. Uh, During this period, there was more and more promotion of high Anglicanism and a tendency towards Roman Catholicism. And so he was no longer able to remain in Oxford University. And he became a a family tutor uh, in a household. And on one occasion, he was in London for a season, and he went with a friend to hear a very famous preacher by the name of Edmund Calamy in Aldermanbury Chapel. They got to church, and they realized that the famous preacher that they wanted to hear wasn't there. Apparently, his companion said, let's go around the corner, and we'll be able to hear somebody else. And for whatever reason, Owen simply decided he would stay he heard a sermon on the stilling of the storm. And interestingly, that passage keeps on recurring in different contexts 
in the rest of his life in various parts of his writing. And it was on that occasion, through the preaching of someone whose name apparently he never discovered, that he was brought to the assurance of faith. And so right at the beginning of the significance of his Christian life, there's just a tremendous lesson for us to learn that often the people we know become really significant, have been pointed to Christ by people who are so apparently to us totally insignificant that we don't even know their names. And for most of us, that's where we live our Christian lives. And so Owen's life is a tremendous encouragement to us to believe that it doesn't matter who we are or where we are, that he's able to use us for his glory in the lives of others. So Owen became a minister in the Church of England. He served in uh, two churches. uh, And uh, when he was in his 30s, he found himself involved in a pastoral context in the siege of Colchester. And so he came to know personally some of the significant figures in Cromwell's new model army. And uh, from that point onwards, he found himself moving in a different kind of company from the one in which he had been reared. They recognized his ability, his significance, his theological acumen, his preaching ability. Um, He preached, for example, to the troops at the siege of Colchester. And shortly afterwards, he was invited to preach uh, to the regular gatherings for worship that the Puritan Parliament held. And in this way, he came to considerable public prominence. Oliver Cromwell uh, heard him preach um, and invited him to become one of his chaplains. He traveled, for example, with Cromwell to various places, both to Scotland and to Ireland. Um, And he served in this capacity, uh, both in the way in which he was a minister of the gospel and also Uh, He was much involved in giving counsel, spiritual counsel, uh, but also a a broader biblical counsel to the people who were becoming the leaders of the nations. Cromwell appointed him to the deanery of Christchurch College in Oxford, and so he began an academic life that lasted for almost a decade. He became the vice-chancellor of the university, which in American terms would be the president of the university, and he sought to reform the university. Um, It had fallen into disarray, essentially, uh, during the period of the Civil War, and Owen restored it to something of its academic glory. Uh, It sought to introduce good discipline into the lives of students. Um, When uh, Cromwell died, uh, Richard Cromwell, his son, stepped into the office. He simply just didn't have the gifts of his father. Uh, Owen himself was nervous about the idea of a protectorate, uh, which had been established in the days of Oliver Cromwell. Uh, He was probably a more radical Republican than that. Um, And uh, Owen himself was involved in trying to persuade Oliver Cromwell not to accept the crown. And so from that point onwards, when Richard Cromwell came to power, uh, Owen's public prominence uh, began to disappear. Shortly after that, of course, uh, came the restoration of the monarchy. 
and the beginnings of legislation being brought through Parliament that was repressive and prohibitive to the Puritans, including John Owen. So, for example, one of the parliamentary acts that was passed, known as the Five Mile Act, which meant that ministers were not able to live within a radius of five miles of the congregation they had served. And from that point onwards, for a period, Owen moved around the country. He wasn't persecuted in quite the same way others were. John Bunyan, for example, whom he sought incidentally to help and was almost certainly one of the first people ever to read the Pilgrim's Progress and recommended the book to his own publisher. But he did suffer. Uh, there were occasions when the houses he was staying in would be invaded uh, by troops. They would search for things, um, uh, trying to find incriminating evidence against him. And so he went through a period of privation until, uh, especially after the Great Fire of London in 1666, uh, Puritan ministers showed their mettle uh, by the concern they showed for establishing the gospel in the city of London. And for the rest of his life, he ministered, first of all, to a very small congregation in London. And then that congregation joined with a larger congregation that had been pastored by a famous preacher by the name of Joseph Carroll. And uh, until his death in 1683, he was minister of that congregation. So that's John Owen's life in brief. Why, why should he be relevant today? Well, for a number of reasons. Uh, the first is that he grasped this basic principle that at the heart of living the Christian life and worshipping God is the knowledge of God according to Scripture. He ransacked Scripture himself, uh, had a profound understanding of Scripture, and he wrote some very, very significant books on fundamental Christian doctrines. For example, the first volume of his collected works has one of the greatest books ever written on the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I sometimes say to people, tell me the important books written on the person of the Lord Jesus by evangelicals between 1920 and 1970, and most people are struck dumb. Um, it, there was an extraordinary disinterest in the person of Christ. And so I think it is probably true of most Christians, if you, if you put them into a darkened room for 10 minutes and said, just go and think about Jesus for 10 minutes, it might just be the most difficult spiritual exercise they'd ever been challenged to do. And uh, Owen, in a sense, was the very reverse. He had thought long and hard about the biblical teaching on the Lord Jesus, and uh, wrote one or two works on the Lord Jesus that are accessible to Christians, uh, Christians who are prepared to read carefully and to follow along and think deeply. Uh, everyone I have ever recommended Owen's book on the person of Christ who has gone on to read it has said they have never read anything quite like it. He also wrote uh, a work that has been immensely important to me personally on communion with God, the Trinity, um, in which he underscores this principle that while in everything God does, 
God the Trinity is always involved, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But also in everything God does, the Father may take a leading role, or the Son may take a leading role, or the Spirit may take a leading role. I wonder if you've ever been in church and somebody has begun a prayer, Our Father, and then a couple of sentences later, they've said, and we thank you so much for coming and dying for us on the cross. And if you're really alert, you think, but the Father didn't come and die for us on the cross. The man has just got a little, at least you hope he has just got a little confused, because if not, he's actually committing a heresy in what he's saying. If you just think about what you have just thought, the Father didn't die for us on the cross. The Father sent the Son to die for us on the cross. Now that means I can praise God, the Father, with all my heart for sending the Son to die. But I never praise the Father for dying for me. It's exclusively the Son I praise for dying for me. And if you begin to reflect on all that God does, all that God the Trinity does, and you understand this principle that the early fathers used to call the doctrine of appropriations, each person of the Trinity appropriating one or other aspect of what God the Trinity as a whole does, then the the effect of that is that when you come to God, when you have fellowship with God, your appreciation of what that means is wonderfully expanded. And so you're not coming to God as a kind of blob, as uh, just some amorphous being, but you're coming to God in his three personhood. And uh, not only is your knowledge of him expanded, but your sense of fellowship with him, praise of him, worship of him, your understanding of prayer, living before him, all of these things are transformed by this. So this is a tremendous example of the way in which biblical theology transforms our understanding. And as a result of transforming our understanding of who God is and what it means to know God, it transforms our lives uh, in so many different ways. So many other things that uh, Owen wrote. Uh, One of the books that people often uh, read, first of all, is a little book. I think it's 93 pages long. It's in volume six of his works. You can buy it in a somewhat simplified edition, and it's called On the Mortification of Sin. Um, Sin is one of our greatest enemies. Um, And yet, if you ask yourself, So how do I overcome sin? How do I deal with sin? How do I recognize sin? Um, Sometimes we're really stuck for answers. And here in this book, it's not Owen's greatest book, and actually I don't think it's his best book, but it's a very good place to start. It's only 93 pages long, and uh, most people can read a book of 93 pages long, and it would really be a big help. if Elders in churches should be able to understand what Owen is saying. And because our responsibility as elders is to help people overcome sin, uh, it is a great way to begin to get your hands around what we're really dealing with. So many other books that Owen wrote, he, he wrote some masterly work on the doctrine of the church. He wrote some great work on the work of Jesus Christ. 
Actually, he wrote a book review that's 666 pages long on the doctrine of perseverance. Um, he wrote some marvelous material on what it means to come to the Lord's table. I've sometimes thought, I wonder what would happen if I gave out three by five cards at the end of a service where we'd come to the Lord's table and ask people to write down what happened there this morning or this evening and then gathered in the answers. Uh, I wonder how fully biblical our understanding would be. And Owen was very patient in taking his congregation through the significance of the Lord's Supper so that they could enjoy it. So in his writings, he, he touches on almost every aspect of the Christian faith. But perhaps the strongest reason for reading him is he never, lose, never loses sight of the way in which a biblical understanding of the gospel applies to regular Christian living. And he's often been regarded as one of the great spiritual masters, probably the greatest of the Puritan thinkers, and a man whose writings continue to be enormously relevant to the 21st century. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the documentary Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God, and all of the bonus content now available on Canon+. Plus.